Greetings everyone, hey how you doing? It's Matt Sella, and boy has it been a while since I posted any video here on YouTube. So let me get the news out of the way quickly before we get into this amphibia catching up with season 1 and 2 because I've never seen, but Mark certainly has. Now the news that I want to pass on is ever since we kind of wrapped up on Owl House, I've kind of noticed that our Spotify downloads have been going fairly consistently. However, I personally feel like the YouTube videos have been kind of meandering a little bit in terms of engagement and I personally want to find a way to try to enhance the visuals to kind of make it more engaging for you folks. I want it to be fun and this YouTube thing it's not a full-time thing it's just kind of on the side as a hobby. I enjoy doing reviews with animator friends, artist appreciators, all that kind of stuff. It's fun to talk about these things and I enjoy doing them. However I feel like more effort needs to go into the YouTube videos and so for here on out you probably won't see as much YouTube videos until I come up with a new format that should be more fun to watch and hopefully we'll get you guys engaged with what Mark and I might be talking about, what Morella, Ivan, who knows? We just want to have conversations and we want you to join us. So keep an eye out for that. For now, you could always go to my Spotify channel and listen to any podcast reviews that Mark and I do, other co-hosts that we might do. There's a lot to talk about in the future. We got Molly McGee coming up. I really want to come up with a good format reviewing that show. But for now, we're mostly going to stick to audio podcasts. So this video right now probably be the last one for maybe a month or two. But hopefully Hopefully at the start of 2022, we'll have something a little more fun to watch along, not just listen to. Anywho, as implied here, Mark, we are going to be talking about Amphibia Season 1 through 2, because I haven't seen the show you have upon their premiere release. I finally caught up to it. I've seen both the seasons on Disney+, and so we're going to talk about what I may think of it, and definitely what you think of the show. So, Mark, introduce yourself, and then take it away. Hi, I'm Mark. I'm also here, and I like to talk sometimes. I'm Matt's friend. I show up, and we talk cartoons. We're talking about Amphibia today, the 2019 animated show on Disney Channel, sort of the uh, sister show of Owl House. I believe, if I remember correctly, they were both kind of announced and more or less aired relatively around the same time people were really hyped about that. Owl House, of course, gone on to great acclaim, and Matt, I believe we've, uh, safe to say, we've both been fans of the series and the way it's progressed so far. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're checking in on the other other end of the uh, Disney a Disney afternoon, the Neo Disney afternoon, I guess, if you will, especially, you know, since, you know, also Disney's had a good track record so far. Of course, you know, people will say it started with Gravity Falls, but I know for Matt, definitely it was more started with DuckTales, which we also enjoyed quite a bit. So yeah, I mean, kind of let's stop lily hopping around it and just talk about Amphibia. But before we proceed, a quick spoiler warning, as the title of this video really should imply, we're talking about seasons one and two, what with season three being on the horizon. I really wanted to pester Matt to talk about and watch this show, and I know some of you have wanted us to talk about it and watch it too. So without further ado, spoilers ahead. Thank you, Little Mermaid. Our story begins with a 13-year-old girl named Anne and her friends who are magically transported and separated to a magical world called Amphibia, where all sorts of amphibious people live and play and farm and have all kinds of crazy magical pseudo-RPG-esque element adventures, and she finds herself adopted and taken in by the Planter family, which include the grandfather Hop-Hop, the little grandson Sprig, and the little Pollywog, fittingly of course, named Polly. Together they have crazy adventures trying to figure out a way to get Anne home, reuniting her with her separated friends, and maybe unraveling the mystery of this strange, strange world. And along the way, 
meet a crazy cast of colorful characters who, without talking too much about it just yet, are, have, might have one of the most stacked voice acting talents I've seen in quite some time. But Matt, overall, let's see, what are some positives you have to take away from the series so far? Give us a couple. What in this show kind of really got your attention? So with every show, you got to have yourself a favorite, something that in a weird way you could either relate to or just remind you of somebody you know. And for me personally, my favorite character was probably Hop Pop. And not only for the fact that he's voiced by Bill Farmer, legendary guy, probably most well known for playing Goofy. I actually really liked his performance throughout the show. And kind of off podcast, Mark and I, we were talking about some of like the old man tropes of like, always listen to your elders, but they tend to make mistakes, but they have like some deep secret that they're trying to protect their family from. I really feel like that worked really well with Hop Hop here. I liked how he had a balance of like protecting his family, a tad bit cowardly, but he always had this honest approach of trying to do things. And whenever he isn't being honest, he kind of immediately emotes guilt because of that. To me, he felt like a very tertiary kind of character. He felt complex, even though he was very simple. And once again, Bill Farmer's voice performance, especially during the dramatic parts, I actually really felt that. Like, I know it's kind of a caricature kind of accent. It really worked for me, especially with the dialogue, the script he was given. I think he was definitely one of my favorite characters out of the bunch. You know, I'd really have to echo that, Matt. I'm actually someone who, out of the main cast, I'd have to say Hop Pop really is a standout. Of course, they all are fairly good. I do lean towards just a lot of the, actually, citizens of Wartwood being some of my favorite characters. Again, predominantly because of just how phenomenal a talents we have voicing these characters and how long we actually stay there, allowing us to kind of really, really care for these characters before we get into a whole big open world. But yes, no, Bill Farmer as Hop Pop, indeed a standout. Uh, as we mentioned, spoilers, you know, his lie to Anne about the music box and his fear of the music box after having lost Sprig and Polly's parents to some pretty crazy shenanigans in the past and just trying to protect his family. Like, it's really great. Him and Anne, who voiced by Brenda Song, have just this great dynamic and this moment where they, it's clear they both care about each other, but there is that rift of trust there for a good while. And it's just, you know, it's not something that just goes away, even if you, even if both people really kind of just want things to go back to normal. Very well acted, I think, by both parties there, in my opinion. Well, we talked about favorite characters there, Matt. Any other positives you might have before we go into some other details? So kind of already what you alluded to, the voice cast for this entire show is really, really damn impressive to me. Like, you have a lot of the contemporary voice actors who you might recognize, such as like Troy Baker playing Grimes. Like, I'm I'm in a weird bubble here where I kind of find Troy Baker's, uh, he's a great voice actor, don't get me wrong, but a lot of roles he plays in is kind of like generic to me. But I feel like he did a really good job at emulating this rebellious toad leader character. I think he played that really well. But you also have some of like the veterans you might recognize, like Tris McNeil playing that one Newt character during the temple. Like as soon as I heard her voice, I just smile ear to ear because she's a classic and an awesome voice actress. And you got like a few other things, which Mark will probably tell you the names of because I actually don't have the cast list here. The mayor sounded a lot like Bill Dotree from King of the Hill, who is actually none other than the incomparable Mr. Stephen Root. I always love hearing his work. Oh, no, he's he especially when he's sort of doing that voice. It's the characters are always charming, even when they're like the case of Mayor Toadstool, honestly, kind of a, <laughs> a jerk. And of course, speaking with the mayor, 
his little buddy Toadie, played by Jack McBrayer. I always liked hearing his voice, too. Yeah, a, a, a regular in the voice acting community, probably most prominently known today by some of our younger audiences as none other than Mr. Fixed Felix. And then you got other, like, legends himself. You got Keith David playing the Newt King. King Andreas himself, of course. By the way, Mark, did you notice that double Easter egg that happened? It was during the last episode of season two at the very beginning where you see Marcy in the library and she opens this book of like magic stuff. And the very first set of pages she sees, she sees like a picture of that triangular Illuminati character who I assume is from Gravity Falls. I have very little knowledge of him, but am aware of his existence. God, I need you to watch that series. Okay. Pause. I no, I don't care. We're stopping the podcast. Really make it so that when we come back to video, I get Matt to talk about Gravity Falls. Thank you, comment section. Okay, unpause the video. Damn it. Anyway, did you notice also on the other page it was a anatomy diagram of Goliath from Gargoyles? Of course, a fitting tribute to none other than Mr. Keith David. There you go. His still beloved series and character, which is saying something considering he is also the voice of Dr. Facilier. So yeah, you got yourself pretty cool little Easter eggs there for the voice cast. But yeah, there's a lot of people in here that are both veterans, somewhat more contemporary. It's just a really solid voice cast, in my opinion. It, it really is. And we can go on and on. You got Kevin McDonald, you know, aka Pleakley in there. You got John DiMaggio, of course. I mean, like it goes on and on. And our newcomers are no slouch either here. Like, uh, like Justin Felbringer, who voices Sprig. I think he does a pretty good job there. And, you know, I, maybe he's done other stuff. I apologize if he has or hasn't. But, you know, all around, I think this really, out of even a lot of the modern, I guess, Disney Channel shows, I think has one of the best and most well-rounded rosters I've seen in a, quite a long time. And that's saying something because I think we have not been shy of voice of expressing how much we've enjoyed the voice cast in other shows. So I think the fact that Amphibia kind of does leap to the top in some respects with that is really a, a, a feat worth mentioning. But Matt, you know, we you talked about some of the positives here and positives they are. It's a little hard to kind of do it a whole two seasons worth. But in terms of, you know, maybe even art style, animation choices, or even some pacing, what do you have to say about some of those, positive or negative? Okay, so I want to put this disclosure here now, folks. I binge-watched seasons one and two that were going to lead up to season three. So keep in mind... I would probably have a different experience or a different impression watching them consecutively rather than maybe longtime fans nowadays who probably watched an episode weekly or spread out like a like a normal TV show. So keep that in mind when I talk about my negatives here. So, yeah, no, that's that's certainly very fair. I mean. it's a different viewing experience for you and you haven't necessarily ridden the highs or the lows that the rest of the community has. And I follow some great artists on Twitter and I occasionally see them post things that relate to Amphibia, mostly dealing with the three girls. But I try to set that aside on my expectations of what to expect from the show. So to get into my negatives here, and these aren't crucial, but to me, what didn't really work for me for the show is I didn't really find most of the main cast likable, especially in the first season. I didn't detest them, but I had trouble relating to them a little bit. And there were some characters like Sasha, who is kind of the antagonistic sort of fixture of a character for Anne. And with how that unraveled in the first season, it kind of reminded me why I have trouble watching 
kids shows or shows that kind of deal with like coming of age themes where I found Sasha to be very apathetic, a little bit of a sociopath, that she would be so willing to kill sentient, emoting, humanoid fog people. There were just some things there that I could not really overlook that later on in the season, try to humanize her, see her as an emotional fault, which I get it. It's like teenagers or kids, they're still growing. I mean, human brains don't stop developing to 25. I I get all that. It's just really hard for me as an adult to kind of like look past that in terms of a narrative where I'm like, okay, Sasa, I really, really think she needs therapy. Deep, deep therapy because some of the characteristics that she's emulating, that could lead to many dangerous things when she's a taxpaying adult. But that might be super nitpicky. I get that. It's a kid's show. It's supposed to be a little bit more lighthearted, I suppose. To kind of bounce off of that a little bit, I also felt like the writing in the show wasn't as strong as I would have liked it to be. It seemed to kind of have trouble, at least for me, it had trouble balancing slice of life shenanigans that the planters and Anne would often get themselves into versus dramatic overarching story parts. As I mentioned before, the thing with Sasha and Anne and Anne finally standing up to Sasha, I thought that was good. Kind of came out of left field in terms of tonal shifts. But as it was going on to the second season where we found out what Marcy was hiding, the way the show kind of wrote itself, paced itself itself and even some of the ambiance of the music, the emotional beats felt a little forced to me and I could not stop shaking what Sasha did was worse. I get what Marcy was going through. She didn't want to lose her friend. She didn't want to move. She wanted to kind of stay together with them. But what she did kind of led to a bad thing when it came to the Newt King, which I apologize. I actually don't remember his name. The point is some of the emotional beats felt very forced to me and did not feel as gradual as I would have liked them to. And to kind of get this all out of the way. And you guys know me. I don't like to compare things too much, but of the big three, and even though technically it's four, Mark, I get that. I haven't seen Gravity Falls. Yes, I get that. Let's move on from that. Of the three major contemporary Disney shows, let's take DuckTales out of the equation here. I feel like the writing for Owl House in terms of balancing its drama with adventure feels more organic to me, whereas Amphibia feels a little more sporadic. And there were a couple of times where I kind of had a feeling it jumped the shark a little bit for me, but I can get into that later or I'm not going to bother with that because I think most people already are probably upset that I'm pointing out that I don't think the show is perfect. So get those pitchforks ready. No, that's fair. I do think that in the, particularly in the beginning, the show does kind of have maybe a hard time juggling the slice of life versus it's trying to get its overarching story off the ground. I I think a lot of people really wouldn't even necessarily disagree with that. I think where it's saving grace is, is whether how much you really like the slice of life stuff or the overarching stuff. And I actually almost liked the show more with its slice of life stuff than its overarching stuff necessarily somewhat myself. I would agree with that. The slice of life, I think, is where most of my enjoyment came from. For sure. But I, and I, I do think that it is like, well, heck, we'll spoil all the way to the ending of season two when you have, well, actually talking about season two and the final episode, no less. There, of course, was some uh, some shenanigans involved with that one. The episode was supposed to air. It then got pulled from syndication, but it still got put up on iTunes. So people still leaked it. But then the community was very vocal of, hey, we like this show. We want to support it. We don't want Disney just to throw it under the bus because it'll get a bad view count 
when the episode actually comes out, we should watch it and support it and try not to spread spoilers and stuff. And there was the, of course, then the like viewer discretion advice, almost like almost anime-esque little like warning, don't go watching this too close to the screen or you'll get, you know, eye issues or something. It was like, it's really weird talking about, you know, maybe traumatic for some viewers. And I, I only saw that version. I never saw the iTunes original without that. So that really, it both raised my expectations of that final episode, but it, it was really weird. I can kind of see why, but also it's just like, Disney, you approved this. This episode was good to go. How did you like butcher this broadcast? But anyway. And to kind of piggyback off of that as well, in terms of like the dramatic overarching parts, I don't know if you had the same experience, but kind of talking about season one with Sasha and Anne, what didn't work for me with the girls too much is that the first episode starts, uh, the opening title itself kind of tells you how she came into the world of Amphibia. But for the most part, we don't really get a setup of what Anne's life was like before she went into Amphibia, only until an episode needs to cover a very specific part of their relationship challenge. And I remember the first scene we really got of Sasha and Anne interacting was when Anne was going to school and she was being harassed by some random ass kid. And Sasha comes in and like deters the bully. And I thought when I first saw that scene, I thought that's when they first met. But then I think later in that episode or an episode later, Anne revealed that she was friends with Sasha since she was in kindergarten. And I kept getting thrown off by that. Like, I don't remember exactly how people describe that form of narrative where it's like insert a flashback right next to a key plot point you want to express. But I didn't really care for that. Like, I wish we had more of an established beginning with these three and then expand upon it later on because I kind of got thrown around a little bit with that. And I think that's what led to some issues that I had with the dramatic parts because it didn't feel progressive. It didn't feel organic. It just felt like, oh, by the way, before we get into this, you just need to know this little snippet of history. Okay, there's that snippet. Okay, let's go into the dramatic parts. And I think that's where I found the bigger weakness of the writing. For sure. It is is not a traditional beginning, middle, end narrative where even if we don't have all the information in the beginning it you know fills it in a little bit later it it, it the, the, you really can't especially if it's your first time watching it you really can't necessarily skip the intro i recommend nor should you it's a really fun intro um i actually there's a few shots in the intro itself that have some really great animation particularly this one where they're being chased by a giant chicken oh speaking of giant chickens though matt uh what did you think of because it the show does pull from rpg what did you think of the almost final fantasy level like craziness that was like what was it saying like chicken off or something like what do you think of some of that elements included in the clearly being an inspiration did, did you like those as someone who you know is you know aware of them like what do you think do you think those added or hindered in any way i definitely think the creatures of this world added to it and again i'm being hypocritical here mark with the whole comparison thing but i remember one of my earlier criticisms of our house was i wish they upped the weirdness the creature design in the world of amphibia is kind of what i wanted in the world of our house because even though like they're very animalistic insect type creatures that are kind of meshed with birds or mammals or various things like that i like the level of detail that they put into these creatures the nods they have to some rpgs but still kind of have that colorful kids show appeal to it that balances those things really well. So yeah, to go off of what you were mentioning before, I liked some of the the blending that happened there. And speaking of homages, 
correct me if I'm wrong here, Mark, but Frobo, that robot that eventually joined the gang at the end of season two, he's supposed to be a reference to those robots from Castle in the Sky, correct? He, he has elements of that. He also has elements of some other frog and robotic X characters we've seen in RPGs like Chrono Trigger. I got more Chrono Trigger than anything, but the arms and a lot of his makeup certainly do lend itself more to a Castle in the Sky Miyazaki anime influence. Yes. Yeah, because when I saw his arms and the color pal- the brownish color palettes, I instantly thought of that robot from Castle in the Sky. A, a very good observation. I think that's a very fair one at that. But yeah, to kind of conclude here, because I know we can go on and on about this we do have season three to look forward to i'm gonna get this last negative out of the way and then i'll give you my general impressions of the show so far i mentioned there may have been a jump the shark moment for me and i think it was the final episode where they were confronting the newt king learning about what he really was trying to do and all that and they kind of had a epic fight going on between each other i remember watching that episode and i noticed within the last couple of episodes i've been really trying to focus on building a relationship between sasha and marcy to an extent and it was really focused on the three girls and i noticed during the fight or even just before the fight that we really haven't had an episode exploring or exercising the relationship between Anne and sprig the kid frog which i know in the first season we get mostly that I noticed that was kind of absent in the latest episodes, like he was just kind of there on the side. But then the new king threatens Anne by dropping Sprig out the window. And I was thinking to myself, huh, if they actually did kind of reignite that relationship sooner leading up to that episode, I think I would have felt that drama. But then he throws Sprig out the window anyway through some wordplay and Anne suddenly goes into Super Saiyan Blue, and we get this really anime-esque inspired fight, which kind of threw me for a loop a little bit because I don't know how much I bought it. And I feel bad saying this. I really do. I feel like the animation team and the artists are very talented, great potential there. But with the way they set up the animation, like the dynamic shots, the fluidity of it, the visual art style doesn't really complement that style of animation. And I know the show makes a lot of references to anime, but because of its Western cartoon look, it just felt a little jarring to me. And like I said, narratively speaking, her suddenly going into like a Super Saiyan Blue type character, I thought was a little goofy to me and I didn't really buy that, but it did not offend me. It just it just kind of happened and I was just watching the show. I'm like, oh, okay, we're going here then. That's fine. But yeah, um, didn't quite hit the mark entirely for me, but I know... What I'm saying is probably noise bueno for many of you, but I will say this much though, watching season one and two, I do not regret watching the show. And I think the show itself is fine. It's borderline good. It has potential. I could 100% see why people are entertained by it, enjoy the characters. Some of them I can't relate to, but I can see how they could for some others. Generally speaking, I like the show. It's not my favorite of the three that I have seen. And this is just my own bias and preference, but I still like DuckTales the most. I like Owl House for its balance between adventure and drama. And Amphibia, I like the slice of life moments, but to me, the dramatic parts don't really blend into it as well as I would have liked to stand on its own. But I will continue to be invested in the show. And I'd like to see season three, where I won't get into too much detail because we're over time already, Mark. I like that we're kind of going to tackle, at least from what the intro shows, something that I actually wanted to see because I enjoy the planters so much. What it'd be like for the planters and Anne being together, not in Amphibia, but in the human world instead. And I think there's a lot of potential of fun to be had there. So I am actually looking forward to season three. 
Uh, no, for sure, Matt. I, I, I think I view the series a little higher than you, you, but I will say, you know, I think at least, you know, having seen more of the shows than you, I would say between Owl House and Gravity Falls, I would say Amphibia would be my number three. And that is, that is in all fairness, a very good number three to be in because, you know, that those are two high quality shows in terms of animation, voice acting, narrative, both shows nailing it, killing it. So to be number three, in my opinion, not too shabby for Amphibia. I am, of course, looking forward to season three very much. Love to see how the planters, like you said, will react to the real world. And overall, I'm just happy you're you're watching. I love it when my friends can watch cartoons with me and, you know, we get to talk about them. And when you let me be on your show. Absolutely. And plus, I enjoy watching these shows because I like to see where some of the trends are going, whether if I view them positively or negatively. If I can get some form of enjoyment out of it, that helps me take a break from the real world shenanigans, which is a very positive word to use. In that case, (laughs) I'm always happy to check out shows like this and see what's got people entertained. Well, Mark, I want to thank you again for finally encouraging me to watch this show. I mean, I don't know why you didn't try to encourage me before. It just took that one time. Recently, you said, hey, Matt, why don't you watch the show? And I'd be like, okay. I tried so many times. Whatever you tell yourself, pal. But hey, you heard our opinion. But now we want to hear yours. Let us know in the comment section below, what did you think of Amphibia, whether season one or two? Did you enjoy the show? Did you not enjoy the show? Let us know in the comment section below. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, ring that bell to be notified when new videos drop. And if you want to support me directly, consider going to my Patreon. Watch me stream on Twitch. Usually I stream on Sundays, but start doing sketch streamings on Fridays. So be sure to follow me there. Links are in the description below. This is Matt Sella. This is Mark. Thanking you all for hopping in. Ah, you see what I did there, Marcus? I did. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs>